2 Thessalonians 2 says the coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Daniel 11 gives us a detailed picture of this same ruler who will arise at the end of the age to control the earth politically, financially, and religiously. Self-willed and arrogant, the Antichrist will make himself greater than any god and blaspheme the one true God. While prospering for a limited time, he brings great devastation to the land of Israel and to the Jewish people. However, the Antichrist is doomed for sure by the return of Jesus, who is the Christ. I'm Ron Jones, and this is Something Good. Hello and welcome to Something Good with Dr. Ron Jones, lead pastor at Atlantic Shores Baptist Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia. I'm Brian Davis, thanks for tuning in. Well, how much do you know about the Battle of Armageddon? What about the coming Antichrist who will one day wield great political, financial, and religious power? Much of what you need to know is found in Daniel chapter 11, which is where Ron takes us today in his continuing series, Mysteries of Babylon how the prophecies of Daniel prepare us for the return of Jesus Christ. Online, you'll find us at somethinggoodradio.org, where you can hear any of Ron's messages on demand on your schedule. While you're there, check out Something Good Television to stream weekly sermons from Dr. Ron Jones. That's somethinggoodradio.org. Now from Daniel chapter 11, here's Ron with part two of his Something Good Radio message, Antichrist, Armageddon, and the fate of the Jewish people. He shall pay no attention to the gods of his fathers. That phrase, gods of his fathers, is mentioned a couple of times here in Daniel chapter 11, leading some to believe he may be a Jew. Uh, I'm not convinced of that, but there is that argument out there that the gods of his fathers refer uh, to, to the Jewish people. Uh, but, but he does not pay attention to the gods of his fathers, uh, nor to the one beloved by women. What, what is that all about? Depending upon the translation, it can lead you to believe that it refers to his desire or lack of desire for women. Some people have taken that to believe that the Antichrist will be a homosexual. I have no problem believing that that's a possibility, especially in today's world, but I don't think that's what this text is saying. What women, probably the Jewish women of this time, and, and, and which one did... Um, the Hebrew women love and look forward to, but Messiah. Every young Jewish girl dreamed of being the one chosen to give birth to Messiah. I, I just take this in, in total to suggest he is a disrespecter of religious traditions, even that, that expectation, e even in the uh, Jewish community today for the coming of their Messiah. They, they reject Jesus as their Messiah, but there's still that sense of expectation that Messiah is coming, and every young Jewish girl, you know, oh, would I be the chosen one? He disrespects all of that. Number seven and eight we'll kind of take together. He worships a Roman god, and he trusts his military power, his military prowess. Look at verse 38. He shall... He shall honor the God of fortresses instead of these, a God whom his fathers 
did not know, and he shall honor with gold and silver, uh, with precious stones and costly gifts. He shall deal with the strongest fortresses with the help of a foreign god. Uh, the reference here to fortresses, many believe, is a, is a reference to his military power. The Antichrist will be a man of war. Remember Jesus said one of the signs of the times is wars and rumors of wars, and he says as we get closer and closer to the end of the age and to the second coming of Jesus, it'll be like birth pangs of a mother. They will increase in frequency and increase in intensity. There have been wars and rumors of wars ever since the time of Christ, and there's hardly been a time in human history where there's not been a war happening somewhere on planet Earth, but that will increase with intensity, and the Antichrist will be a warmonger, and he will bring incredible war and devastation to this earth. He will put his trust in military power and in a God that his fathers do not recognize. Some say that the reference to the God of fortresses is perhaps a reference to an ancient uh, mythological Roman God, the God of Jupiter. And, um, you know, that's, that's some of the speculation out there. But ultimately, he presents himself to be worshiped and uh, claims deity himself. Number nine, he honors those that honor him. Look in the middle of verse 39. Those who acknowledge him, he shall load with honor. He shall make them rulers over many and shall divide the land for a price. So as, as a warmonger, he will, he will take certain lands and he will take possession of treasuries and boundaries and nations and he will, you know, like a good politician, reward those who are loyal to him. He'll say, hey, here, here's some land. He might even redraw some boundaries and say, here's some land. You be the ruler of this. And, of course, those who dishonor him, um, he will not just dishonor, but he will destroy. Number 10, he brings devastation to the land of Israel and to the Jewish people. Let's read on beginning in verse 40. And at the time of the end... Actually, let me just stop right there. That phrase, the time of the end, appears many times in chapters 10, 11, and 12, okay? If the liberal scholars were right and all of Daniel chapter 11 can be found in history, not just verses 1 to 35, which we can find from our perspective in history, but then they go even further and they try to find in history something that looks like verses 36 to 45 you really have to do some interpretive gymnastics there, kind of a, a round off with a back handspring and a double flip uh, to find that in history. But if you do, uh, the time of the end doesn't apply because if it all is, is still part of history, well, it, we're still here. The end hasn't come. But this, this, chapters 10, 11, and 12, is a description of the time of the end, verse 40, when the king of the south shall attack him, but the king of the north shall rush upon him like a whirlwind with chariots and horsemen and with many ships, and he shall come into countries and shall overflow and pass through. He shall come into the glorious land. What is the glorious land? Probably a reference to Israel. And tens of thousands shall fall, but these shall be delivered out of his hand, Edom and Moab and the main part of the Ammonites. He shall stretch out his hand against the countries, and the land of Egypt shall not escape. He shall become ruler of the treasures of gold and of silver, 
and of all precious things in Egypt, and the Libyans and the Cushites shall follow in his train. Again, he will not just have political power and religious power, and, uh, uh, but he will also have uh, financial power here. Verse 44, but news from the east and the north shall alarm him, and he shall go out with great fury to destroy and devote many to destruction, and he shall pitch his palatial tents between the sea and the glorious holy mountain. What sea? Probably the Mediterranean Sea and the glorious holy mountain, a reference to Jerusalem, which like Rome is a city of seven hills. Yet he shall come to his end with none to help him. Now, generally speaking, verses 40 through 45 describe the activities of the Antichrist who brings great destruction to the land of Israel and to the Jewish people. There's a lot of discussion about this even amongst conservative scholars, so let me just walk you through some of this. Uh, there's a mention here of the king of the south and the king of the north, both that attack the Antichrist. He's not everybody's friend, certainly not Israel's friend, but during a time even when he's supposedly protecting Israel, he's got people coming against him and against the nation of Israel. The reference to the king of the south, many scholars believe, is a reference to uh, the African nations, you know, south of Israel that coalesce in power and come up from the south. The king of the north, Russia and her allies. Now, one of the questions that arises here, if you're attuned to other matters in Bible prophecy, is what about the war mentioned in Ezekiel 38 and 39, which talks about Russia and her allies, Gog and Magog, attacking Israel? Is that what's in view here? Well, not exactly, because in Ezekiel 38 and 39, only the king of the north is mentioned, uh, but not the king of the south. So some speculate that the, the war in Ezekiel 38 and 39, which I believe happens shortly after the rapture, not before the rapture, but shortly after, and a war where, like the Six-Day War years ago in Israel, God just devastated Israel's enemies. He devastates Russia and her allies. If that is the case, this is a later war during the seven years of tribulation where it appears that the king from the north, Russia and her allies, regroup and regroup in a way that they involve the king of the south, Africa, and, and the coalesced nations there, and they come against the Antichrist and against Israel herself. There's also a mention of news from the east and the north that shall alarm him. We know from the book of Revelation that a mighty army of uh, millions of soldiers will come from the east, uh, from the far east, and will even walk along the dried up Tigris River, and perhaps that is in view here. Certainly the time of the end and all of this destruction has in view the Battle of Armageddon, which uh, the intensity of it happens in the latter part of the tribulation period, the last three and a half years known as the Great Tribulation according to Jesus. The Battle of Armageddon takes place, of course, in the Jezreel Valley. We go there when we go to Israel and we stand on top of Megiddo and look out across at the Jezreel Valley. Uh, Napoleon once stood there and said, this is the greatest battlefield for all the nations of the world to come. Napoleon wasn't being prophetic. He, he wasn't a, a Bible man, but uh, he, even a great general like him recognized a battlefield when he saw one. 
But the Battle of Armageddon is actually a series of conquests, uh, yes, in the Valley of Jezreel, but bloodshed, you know, covers the beautiful land, the nation of Israel, all throughout, especially the latter half of the tribulation period, and all of that is in view. He brings great destruction to the land of Israel and to the Jewish people, but number 11, he will be destroyed. Look at it at the end of verse 45. Yet he shall come to his end with none to help him. How does he come to his end? The second coming of Jesus Christ. You can write in here, uh, Revelation chapter 19, uh, uh, probably beginning around verse 13 or so, it gives us a description of the second coming of Jesus Christ uh, following the battle of Armageddon, the battle to end all battles. Dr. Ron Jones will be right back with the second half of today's message, Antichrist, Armageddon, and the fate of the Jewish people. Remember, you can stop by somethinggoodradio.org anytime to find out more about the ministry or to order selected resources, like the series that you're hearing right now, Mysteries of Babylon, how the prophecies of Daniel prepare us for the return of Jesus Christ. The entire audio download of this seven-message series can be yours today for a gift to Something Good Radio. That's somethinggoodradio.org. Give online at somethinggoodradio.org or mail your gift to P.O. Box 6245, Virginia Beach, Virginia 23456 or call our offices at 757-276-1099. And now here's Ron with the rest of today's message, Antichrist, Armageddon, and the fate of the Jewish people. I want to go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 one more time just to read a portion of what the Apostle Paul wrote to the Thessalonians regarding the Antichrist. He says, beginning in verse 9, the coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who do not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. You ask, Pastor, why, why is all this going to happen in the future? It's a time when the wrath of God is poured out on this earth, not only against Israel for rejecting her Messiah, but also for those whom God used, uh, the Gentile nations, to discipline His own people. Go figure that. But the wrath of God comes. Why? It, it says, against those who are perishing because they refused to love the truth and so be saved. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. You either love that or you hate it. Most in the world hate that. The, wor the world wants a, a, a nice, you know, now I lay me down to sleep kind of Jesus, but not a Jesus who says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by me. The world doesn't like that kind of exclusive claim. Some, some 
refused to love the truth. And you say, well, how, how can a world leader like this arise on the world scene? I mean, come on, we're smarter than to follow a guy like this. No, the Bible says God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false. And this one who comes by the activity of Satan will have power to do miracles and false signs and wonders. You say, well, pastor, I, I don't want to be here around that time. Well, good. I, I got an escape plan for you. <laughs> Come to the cross of Jesus Christ. Because I believe the Bible says that the church the church is saved from the wrath to come. And in the context, it's talking about the wrath to come during Daniel's 70th week. I, I don't believe the church will be here. I know people debate the rapture and get it confused with the second coming. And, you know, say, some say it's a, it's a pre-tribulational rapture or a mid-tribulational rapture or, or it doesn't happen at all. There's all those kinds of views out there. But I think the, the most normal and natural way to interpret the Scripture and put it all together is to say the next event in Bible prophecy is the rapture of the church. It's kind of the first half of the second coming, if you want to think of it that way, followed by seven years of tribulation, Daniel's 70th week, Jacob's trouble, the worst of times on planet earth, the rise of this one who comes by the activity of Satan, but it culminates in the battle of all battles called Armageddon, and it culminates in the second coming of Jesus Christ, followed by you know, all the rest of the things that we talk about in Bible prophecy, the millennial kingdom, the eternal state to come, and all that. How do you make sure that you're not around during that time? Well, uh, love the truth and be saved. That's kind of what Paul says here. This, this, this is for those who didn't love the truth and weren't saved. Saved from what? Saved from the penalty of your sin? The Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You know, we, we look at what's happening in our world today, and we look at the news headlines, even what's happening in our own backyard. We go, why, how, why, how, what's going on here? Listen to the Bible's de uh, diagnosis. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? Jeremiah 17 and verse 9. And we read these tragic headlines, and we scratch our heads. No, we, we know the problem. It's a problem of the human heart. We underestimate the wickedness in the human heart, and we sometimes see the worst displays of what is deep inside everyone. We need to be saved. We need to be redeemed from the penalty of our sins, from the very power of sin over us. That's what Jesus Christ did at the cross. And he promises that if you put your faith and trust in him, he will one day save you from the very presence of sin. I believe that happens for the church of Jesus Christ at the time of the rapture. We're taken out of this world when literally all hell breaks loose because along with the church, the Holy Spirit lifts out of this place as well, the restrainer of evil, the restrainer of sin. You take the restrainer out and you ain't seen nothing yet. The man of sin and the man of lawlessness appears, and all the destruction comes. You want to escape that time? You come to the cross of Jesus Christ. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord.
If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God has raised Him from the dead, the Bible says we will be saved. So friends, be saved today and be saved from the wrath to come and from the eternal wrath to come for those who refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Don't, don't be among those. And if you're, if you're already here and you're a believer in Jesus Christ, know this, that for every day that the Father says, no, not yet, son, and nobody knows the day or the hour of Jesus' return, the angels don't know, even Jesus himself said he doesn't know, anybody who says he does know is false, don't listen to him, nobody knows the day or the hour, but every day that goes by where the Father says, no, not yet, or, or the Father doesn't say, now, is a day of grace. It's a day of opportunity. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the appointed time to say yes to Jesus. And now is the time that those of us who call ourselves believers in Jesus Christ got to get about the Father's business, making disciples of Jesus Christ who go and make disciples. The only reason we're here is to carry out Jesus' mission. Otherwise, the Father would take us to heaven, right? So let's get about the Father's business. And let's join in on the Father's business if you're not a child of God by faith in Jesus Christ. Thanks so much for joining us for today's Something Good radio message, Antichrist, Armageddon, and the fate of the Jewish people. Ron, earlier in today's message, you mentioned that the spirit of Antichrist is already here. Could you talk a little more about that as we wrap things up here on this edition of Something Good Radio? Right, Brian. Well, ever since sin entered the world, the spirit of Antichrist has been present. Let's think about this in terms of the Antichrist himself. What he will ultimately be is the devil incarnate, just as Jesus is God incarnate. The Antichrist will be the false word of Satan in the flesh. Jesus, on the other hand, is the word of God become flesh. But until that day, the spirit of Antichrist is present because sin is present. And the devil himself is known as the God of this world. And what we find in today's world are some strong indicators that the spirit of Antichrist is gaining power. You can see it all around us. Even in America, a nation that was founded on Judeo-Christian principles, even in America we see clear and present signs of an escalating moral depravity. Many have begun to call good evil and evil good, which is exactly the kind of thing the Antichrist, or Satan in the flesh, will ramp up to unprecedented levels. And he will succeed. Uh, he will succeed for a season. Certainly not with everyone, but he will find success. God himself has prophesied it. Going so far as to say that in those last days when Antichrist is here on earth, he, he being God, will send strong delusion to those who are already perishing. Now, that day is coming, Brian, and even though none of us can know exactly when that day will come, we can certainly see signs that we're heading in that direction. Now, this is why it is so critical for us as believers in Jesus Christ to do our part to lead others to him. This was always our charge. This was always our great commission. From the day Jesus ascended into heaven until now, and from now until the end of the age, there is nothing as important as our call to make disciples of all nations. Plenty of important things, Brian, uh, but the great commission is our most important calling. 
Thanks so much, Ron, for those great final thoughts on today's message, Antichrist, Armageddon, and the fate of the Jewish people. And Ron, we're almost out of time, but before we sign off, what can you tell us about the next message in your current series, Mysteries of Babylon? Brian, it's been such a great journey so far, and I'm so glad I've been able to share this series from Daniel with our Something Good Radio listeners. There's one more message to go, and this will conclude the series as well as our study of Daniel, which began with my teaching series, Standing Strong. Uh, So for the next couple of days, I'll be going a little more in depth about the tribulation and also about the second coming of Christ, uh, the resurrection of the dead, uh, the reward of the righteous, uh, the 1,000-year reign of Jesus on earth, Uh, something in which every believer in Jesus Christ will take part. Brian, we've got plenty of exciting stuff to talk about, and it should be a lot of fun. Sounds like it, Ron. That's Monday when Ron shares this message, The End of Wonders. Join us then for Something Good. For Ron and the entire team here at Something Good Radio, I'm Brian Davis saying God bless and thanks for listening.